Welcome to the podcast for First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights. These are the audio versions of the sermons preached each Sunday. I hope you enjoy. What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if you say you have faith but do not have works? Can faith save you? If a brother or sister is naked and lacks daily food, and one of you says to them, Go in peace, keep warm and eat your fill, and yet you do not supply their bodily needs, what is the good of that? So faith by itself, if it has no works, is dead. This is the word of the Lord. Now let us continue in James, the second chapter. But someone will say, You have faith and I have works. Show me your faith apart from your works, and I will show you my works. But my works will show you my faith. (laughs) You believe that God is one? You do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you senseless person, that faith apart from works is barren? Was not our ancestor Abraham justified by works when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see, that faith was active along with his works, and faith was brought to completion by the works. Thus the scripture was fulfilled and says, Abraham believed God, and it was reckoned to him as righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Likewise, was not Rahab the prostitute also justified by works when she welcomed the messengers and sent them out by another road? For just as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is also dead. The word of the Lord. I'm going to start this morning by confessing something to you. I had a lot of trouble writing this sermon. And so whenever I have trouble writing the sermon, I go back to the same place I always go. And so I start my sermon this morning by saying, my father always said, and if you've ever heard any of my sermons, you know my father has said quite a lot. But that is beside the point. My father always said to me, a man is only as good as his word. If I promised to clean the dishes later and I forgot, or if I told a friend I would come over to help them and then got distracted by video games or playing outside, my father would remind me a man is only as good as his word. In today's scripture, we heard a very similar thing. In fact, I'm starting to think that my dad stole this idea from James. (laughs) This letter really doesn't pull any punches, does it? The NRSV translation, which we read this morning, has James saying, You believe God is one? You do well. But many other translations have him saying, You believe that God is one? Good, or good for you. It's not often that you come across such sarcasm in the Bible. So who was this man that this book was named after, and who is clearly being portrayed as, let's say, fiery? The book James was named after James, the brother of Jesus. People called him James the Just. After Jesus' death, James made a home for himself in Jerusalem, became a tireless defender of the poor, and a leader of the early Christian church. 
It was said that he was viewed by most everyone as righteous and honorable. Everyone seemed to respect him because he lived a pious life of integrity. This is shown to be accurate because when James was killed in 62 CE, the reaction was immediate. A group of Jews from Jerusalem wrote the Roman governor about James' demise, and even the governor became outraged, threatening to kill the perpetrator. James was so well-liked and so well-known that our earliest non-biblical reference to Jesus is because of his brother James. Josephus, a late first-century Jewish historian, wrote about James' death for Rome in 94 CE. He said, James, the brother of Jesus, the one they call the Messiah. Now what's amazing about this is that Josephus' focus isn't on Jesus, but it's on James and James' death. To quote one New Testament scholar, the fact that a Jewish historian writing to a Roman audience, would recount in detail the circumstances of James' death and the overwhelming negative reaction to his execution, not just from the Christians in Jerusalem, but from the city's most devout and observant Jews, is a clear indication of just how prominent a figure James was in the first century Palestine. In fact, Historical evidence seems to suggest that James was the undisputed leader of the early church. Not Peter, not John, not Paul, but James. Now the book of James was written between 80 CE and 90 CE. It is most likely that James didn't actually write this letter. First, James would have come from the same backwater podunk town, as Alex has called it, that Jesus came from, Nazareth. Meaning that James, like Jesus, would have had no formal education and thus reading and writing would not have been possible. Also, since the book is dated between 80 and 90 CE and James died in 62 CE, it would be pretty hard for him to write a book 18 to 30 years after he died. But, as Alex has said, if a book is named after a person, it is most likely that someone within that person's inner circle wrote the book. This is true with James. However, Unlike most books that share this commonality, the book of James is widely thought to be an edited and expanded version of a sermon that he gave in Jerusalem before his death. That's amazing. Most of these books are people just saying what they think this person would have said, but this is an expanded version of the actual words of the brother of Jesus. I know you guys aren't Bible nerds like me, but that's something that really gets me excited. But I'm getting off topic here. What was I preaching about? Faith without works. Right, right. He didn't even give me the cue. (laughs) The (laughs) The reason that I chose this passage was singularly focused. Note that I said was singularly focused, but I'll get to that. For many years, I have been vexed by the confirmation drop-off rate. This is a nationwide issue in which 
Kids go through confirmation and then never come back to church. I can't tell you the amount of times I've read articles that are quoting these numbers in the 70th and 80th percentiles. Articles say millennials leaving church in droves or generation that kills Christianity. There's a panic sweeping across churches far and wide, and I am not immune to it. I wanted to get up here and to tell you your faith, those statements that you made, this journey of confirming what you believe is meaningless if you don't follow up on it. I wanted to tell you that this day, as much as it is a day of celebration, for the church it has also historically been a day of false hopes. A day where we build ourselves up only to be let down next year. I wanted to get as close as I dared to preach the fire and brimstone. If you don't do this, then you are not a Christian. And I think that's why I struggled so much with this sermon. I still want to impart some of that. Our scripture puts it really well. You cannot claim to follow Jesus and then not do what he would have us do. If someone is in need, if someone is in pain, we cannot just sit by and shower them with spoken blessings and prayer. As much as I believe those are good things, I also believe that a hungry person cannot eat a prayer, that a naked person cannot clothe themselves and warm themselves in a blessing. So from this perspective, I want you to look at your statements of faith. The book of James is saying, you believe? Great. Now what? Now what are you going to do about it? What does your faith move you to do in the world? Because our scripture says, if you truly believe these things, if Jesus is truly your model for life, then you will be moved to do something. And more specifically, you will be moved to help bring about God's kingdom through helping the poor, the sick, the tired, the broken, the widow, the orphan, the needy, the list goes on. This, this is what James preached. If you do not, then James is using my father's line and saying, you're only as good as your word, and then quickly following up with, and it looks like that's not very good. Now, in classic God style, the thing I thought I wanted to say turned out to not be what was on my heart to say. James said, faith without works is dead meaning that you have to be moved to do something by your faith or you don't have that faith that you're claiming. But I want to impart to you all a slightly altered version of this. What I want to say to you is that without works, your faith will die. Let me tell you a story about what I mean. Back in 2008, when most of you were just finishing kindergarten, that just hurt, that hurt to say. <laughs> Anyway, back then, I felt led to go to seminary and continue my education. I had been working in youth ministry in one form or another since 2003, and I was feeling a tug to, as I put it, fill my cup more so that I could fill others' cups more. I essentially wanted to learn more about this faith, this Bible, this 
Jesus fella, so that I could teach from a more informed space. I felt very called to youth ministry. It's where I wanted to be, and it's where I'm blessed to still be called to. But this call took me to seminary, which is grad school, which means that after 18 straight years of school, I took six years in college, for those of you doing that math, (laughs) I decided to go back to school for some more. Now, a backstory on my backstory, I hated school all the way through. Grade school, high school, college, blurg. I didn't like it. I didn't want it. And then I chose to have more of it. (laughs) But I was sure that this time it would be different. It would be different because this school was going to be centered around a topic that I was all nerdy about, as you guys saw earlier. So I went off to seminary to get more schooling about Christianity. The first semester, I was mostly liking it. I was learning about the history of the church, about biblical studies, how to read the Bible from historical perspective, a text-critical perspective, other perspectives. I was learning Hebrew to read the Old Testament in its more original form. The excitement of my decision was propelling me along. But then, second semester came, and well... My enthusiasm for seminary was being outweighed by my dislike for school. The pain of writing papers took the place of the joy of learning about the written word. The exhaustion of studying the Bible replaced the excitement of biblical studies. And not to mention that the prophets it was taking just to study the prophets was overwhelming. I was in a fog of confusion and anger. Why did I come here? I hate writing papers and taking tests and sitting in three-hour lectures. Why would I do this to myself? At the end of my second semester, my GPA had dropped one and a half points, and I was considering dropping out completely. I don't remember telling anyone or discussing this decision with anyone, but I ultimately decided to give it one more semester. So I took the summer, I went back home, I worked as a landscaper, and then in the fall I came back to Chicago for another year of torture. (laughs) But this year was the year that we had internships. Basically, they took all the second year students and on top of all of your schooling, you had to work 12 hours in a church. Now, I grew up in a church, and I had been working in a church for the last six years, so I thought nothing of this 12 hours a week. But something happened. I started to like seminary again. The classes were more meaningful, the lessons more applicable, even the teachers seemed more personable. For a while, I didn't understand it. But then I finally put it together, that it's because I was doing what I felt called to do. Now hear me here. At the beginning of this story, I told you that I was called to youth ministry, which led me to seminary. But I wasn't called to seminary. It was just along my path. Let me put this another way. I, by going to seminary, was confirming 
that I was called into the ministry, but by only confirming that call on my life and not actually doing that call on my life, something inside of me started to die. Are you picking up what I'm putting down? If I had gone on not acting on this thing that I had claimed, eventually I would have felt like letting it go. I would have started to become less and less interested in it. It would have become less and less meaningful to me. I was not called to seminary. No, I was called through seminary. And now I know that this is Confirmation Sunday, but I am used to preaching on Baccalaureate Sunday like I have done for the last three years. And so I'm going to get right back to you, Confirmands, but i got to talk to the high schoolers in here. High schools, when high schools, high schoolers, when you graduate, you are not called to college. You are called through college. Your life Your future, your dreams and aspirations are not in college. They are what lies on the other side of the path that goes through that university. Now hold on because I think this is why Confirmation Sunday is two weeks before Baccalaureate Sunday. Confirmands, you were not called to confirmation. No, you were called through confirmation. Confirmation is not the end goal. Confirmation is not the stopping point. No, if your faith is to be deep and meaningful, if your faith is to live and thrive, then confirmation has to be something that is just along your path. Just like me with seminary, just like high schoolers with college, this cannot be the end. If you believe those words you put down, if you are feeling a calling on your heart to be a Christian, then hear me now, confirmation does not make you a Christian. Confirmation does not give you a magic key that you are now an heir to the kingdom. No, you do that. You do that with your actions, with your choices, with your deeds, and without those deeds, without making this faith real in your life, it will die. You can claim your faith until the cows come home. But if you do not act on it, eventually that faith will no longer be meaningful to you. I think that the truth lies with what James was saying and what I was saying. It's two sides of the same coin. If you have faith, but you don't act on it, your faith will begin to die, or you never had that faith to begin with. I was called to be a youth worker, not a seminarian. High school graduates are called to be more than college students. And you are all called to be Christians, not confirmands. Let us fully live into what it means to be Christians and truly be as good as our word. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening. And if you want to learn more about First Presbyterian Church of Arlington Heights, please visit www.fpcah.org for more information on service times, directions, and to learn more about the First Pres family of faith.